0: We're going to invite the kids to make their way to junior church, and we're going to turn to Romans chapter 12 this morning. Romans chapter 12. Beginning with verse 17, we read these words. Never pay back evil for, evil for to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Stephen Olford, in a book, *The Grace of Giving*, tells the story of a Baptist pastor back in the days of the American Revolution. Peter Miller was his name. He lived in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. Some of you probably never heard of that, but having grown up in that area, I'm familiar with 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 the town, anyhow. Peter enjoyed the friendship of George Washington. On one, in the same village, there lived a man by the name of Michael who was arrested. Or, or First, he was an evil-minded man. He did all he could to oppose and humiliate the pastor and his work. The day came when Michael was arrested, put on trial for treason, and sentenced to die. Peter, the pastor, traveled 70 miles on foot to Philadelphia to plead for the life of the traitors. George Washington looked at him and said, I cannot grant you the life of your friend. My friend, he said, he's not my friend. He's my most bitter enemy that I have. Washington looked at him and said, what? You walked 70 miles to plead for the life of an enemy? He said, that puts it in a different life. I will grant that pardon. He pardoned him. uh, Peter took Michael home. And from that point on, they became friends. God had worked in, in his heart there. We may not face a situation as serious as that, but I wonder how many of us today have some enemies. How many have somebody in your life that just loves to make life miserable for you, They're out to hurt you to in any way that they can? Uh, someone, perhaps, as you think about them, you would just love to get even with, just once, just even the score there. It begins very early in life, interpersonal problems. They start with sibling rivalry. Uh, If you ever watch playground politics, you know that pretty soon it develops into fights and so forth, and enemies develop quite quickly. Uh, The business world is is full of that kind of thinking, and and sadly even the church falls into that trap at times. Uh, We have a desire to, to be in charge or be in control or whatever, And yet, as we started this chapter, remember, we were called to be living sacrifices, not conformed to the ways of the world, but to be transformed. We looked at what that means as far as our interpersonal relationships concerned. I gave you 16 different commands that he gave here uh, of how we can demonstrate love to one another. But now, what if somebody doesn't love us in return? How are we treat an enemy? Is it simply the golden rule, do unto others as you would have others do unto you? Uh, That's a a good starting point, but is that all that's implied here? I I think of the words of Jesus back in Matthew chapter 5 where he said in verse 43, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, in order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven." For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust there. And he goes on to challenge us to love not just those that love us in return, but love those that may have hurt us, those that have sought to, to destroy us. Uh, we, we have a responsibility there as, as well. Peter raised the question on one occasion, how oft will my brother sin against me and should I forgive him? Should I do it seven times? No. The Pharisees taught you do it three times, and if they come back and do it the fourth time, you've got a right to hit them back. <laughs> but Peter, he was being very, very gracious there. He said, Lord, should I should I wait seven times? And remember what Jesus said, 70 times seven. You know what? By the time you do that 70 times seven times, it becomes a habit. You ever notice how you do things over and over again pretty soon it, it's just natural for you there. Uh, that, that was behind, I think, Christ's intention there when he said 70 times 7. Paul, as he looks at us as living sacrifices, gives us five commands here on how to treat those that may be trying to make life miserable for us. The first one is very simply in verse 17. Do not try to get even. He said, never pay back evil for evil. Now, I realize that is contrary to human nature. Have you ever noticed when somebody, when you were kids, when somebody hit you, what's the first thing you wanted to do? Hit them back. Uh, Not just the same way they hit you, but just a little bit harder because you don't want to get even. You want to get one step better there. That's just the way we've been raised. Somebody cheats us, we want to take advantage of that. Paul said, don't do it don't repay evil for evil here why why can't we get even well he, I think of two reasons why that, that doesn't come from the text but this this is two reasons for us to consider here number one if, if you seek to get even with somebody that has harmed you in some way you're bringing yourself down to their level you're becoming just like they are and do you really want to do that and then the second reason is because we're called to be an example of Jesus Christ. Remember he said when he said a living sacrifice, he said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Show the world that there is a different way, a better way. We need to show the world the difference that Christ can make in a life. So rather than returning evil for evil there are getting even, he said, I want you to do the right thing. Number two there in your notes. The King James Version puts it, provide things honest in the sight of all men. Literally, that can be translated, do the right thing. What is the right thing to do in that situation? It doesn't matter what your enemy has done or hasn't done. We, we should never let an enemy determine how we respond. We, we should never let an enemy determine our actions today or our character as well. We are called to be salt and light in a sin-darkened world. The world will not understand that, but we are called to a different lifestyle. We, we are called to exercise different principles than what the the world would do. And, and I realize that expression is overworked, but uh, years ago we used to have it on bracelets and so forth, those initials, WWJD, what would Jesus do? It's still a good question to ask ourselves. What would jesus do in in this situation? I think of uh first peter chapter two in that that regard first peter chapter two verse twenty one through twenty three here he said uh, for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin." There was any deceit found in his mouth, and when, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And it goes on to say, then, he bore our sins on the cross. He did what was right in those situations. Uh, that doesn't mean that we let people walk all over us. It doesn't mean that there isn't a time to take a stand. I, I think of Jesus in the, the temple when he took a whip, drove out the money changers, there's time for legitimate action. What would Jesus do? How would he meet that situation? But don't do what the world necessarily would do. Jesus had the power to do whatever he wanted. He could have gotten even with his accusers. He said on one occasion, you know, if I wanted to, I could call 12 legions of angels. If he called 12 legions of angels, the Pharisees, the the Sanhedrin, Herod, and Pilate, they would have been history in that moment. Uh, One angel in the Old Testament in one night killed 185,000 of the Assyrian army. What would they do with Rome if you had 12 legions of them? Uh, They they wouldn't have stood a chance. And, And yet he said, I will not do that. Years ago in the Daily Bread, there was an article entitled, Loving a Killer to Christ. It relates a story that took place during the Korean conflict. A young communist officer was very zealous for his cause. He ordered the execution of a a man, a Christian man, a civilian. And when he learned that the prisoner was in charge of an orphanage and was doing good in caring for orphans, he decided to spare his life, but he took instead the life of his son. He he called the man, and in front of the man's eyes, he had his 19-year-old boy shot in the presence of his father. Later, when the tide of events turned, this young officer was captured, put on trial, condemned, and, and was about to be executed. But uh, the Christian father came to the trial. He pleaded for the life of the communist who had killed his son. He said, if justice were to befall it, the man would be executed. But since he was so young and blindly idealistic, he probably thought his actions were right. Give him to me, he said, and I'll teach him about the Savior. The court granted his request. He took the murderer home as his own son. And eventually that young man went on to become a pastor, reaching others with the gospel message. The natural thing would have been to have him put to death. But he recognized as a child of God, we operate under different principles. We have a different purpose in life. And so we do that which is right, that which will honor him in each and every situation there. Third principle he gives to us here today is we are to seek peace in verse 18. Seek peace, uh, if possibly said, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. That is not a passive command. It's not sit back and hope the problem goes away. No, he encourages us to get the situation resolved as as much as possible. Remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, if you come to the altar, remember that your brother has something against you. What are you supposed to do? Go to your brother and get it right. Uh, the same principle also applies later in, in Matthew where, where he says, if somebody has something against you, they have a responsibility to go to you and get it right. If they don't, they're not following the scriptural pattern. If they don't, uh, and, and I realize that's not the way of the world. What, what do we do if we have something against somebody? We tell it to our friend. We tell it to our neighbor. We we, we let it spread. It becomes gossip. And, and we do tremendous damage that way. No, the scripture says... You have something against your brother, go to your brother, get it right, get it solved. If, if you don't, you are destroying the, the very work of God that, that he wants to do. Now, notice he qualifies that here. He says, if it's possible, there are some people out there that don't want peace. You, you'll never be at peace with them. They, they enjoy the battle. They enjoy the, the problems that they cause and so forth. But he said, as far as you are concerned, make sure it's their problem. And not yours. You do that which is right in the situation. And uh, I think sometimes in that connection we learn, we need to learn to disagree without being disagreeable. We do what is right. Let the other person, uh, let the Lord take care of the other person. I remember years ago I was teaching through First Timothy. I came to that section in chapter 2 there where it speaks of the roles of uh Men and women in the church and so forth, and uh, that the next day I got a very irate phone call from a lady in the church, uh, and uh, I, I went over and visited with her and her husband, and she said, "You know, if if you're going to teach that there are roles in the church that are different for men than women, we can't be a part of that church." And uh, we, we we discussed the what the scripture said and so forth, and and uh, she. I, finally, I asked her, I said, uh, she said, I, I don't have to submit to the authority of any man. And I said, do you have to submit to your husband? And she said, no, I don't have to submit to my husband. I, I said, do you have to submit to Jesus Christ? And she didn't hesitate. She said, no, I don't have to submit to Jesus Christ. Uh, now, she said, I may choose to, but I don't have to. And in a sense, she was right. She could choose to rebel, but uh, she had to answer to Jesus Christ for that. And that's what she refused to to acknowledge there. Finally, she said, well, you know, if you're going to continue preaching that, that men are to be elders, women are not to be elders, and so forth, then I'm out of here. I'm not going to come to church anymore. And and I looked at her husband, and I said, and what are you going to do? He said, well, she's my wife. If she goes, I go. (laughs) I thought, well, I know where the problem lies here. (laughs) I I didn't say that to her. But uh, at that point in time, I realized we had to agree, or we had to choose to disagree, and I wished them well. I said, I hope you find a place where you, you fit in, and, and uh, if you don't, you want to come back. This is who we are, and, and we're, we're happy, we'd be happy to have you, but uh, if you choose to go your own way, that's, that's your decision, we, and, and she did. and She went from church to church trying to find one that she fit into. I don't know if she ever did. I, I really don't. I saw her several years later, Uh, they were both miserable, both struggling in in, in their walk with with the Lord. There are times when peace is possible. There are times where we cannot sacrifice our principles for the sake of peace. And I felt that was one of those times, and I just wished her goodbye there. Uh, It's better to suffer loss sometimes than to lose our testimony for Jesus Christ. That's what Paul said in in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 there where it came to the issue of lawsuits. He said, you know, sometimes we just have to pay a price. We have to suffer that loss so that God is glorified. And uh, the important thing is we have to be the individual that God calls us to be. Then comes a tough one in verse 19. He said, do not seek revenge. Don't you like that feeling of getting even? Uh, and that, it just feels so good doesn't it sometimes but he says don't do that it, it, it it's a tough one because how do we balance the desire for revenge with the desire for justice i i, I remember and how, how do we not only look at our need but the needs of others and other victims that may be happening i remember a situation happened in a church we went to in south dakota it happened before we got there the uh there was a a rancher in the area that had been physically attacked by one of his workers and he pressed charges for it and the church felt that he was wrong for just forgive him and don't press charges what the, they didn't recognize was that the one of the reasons he pressed charges was because this man had abused several of the young girls in the community and he felt that if I can have him removed from the situation Then I spare the victims, more heartache, and others being drawn into this. He was not seeking personal revenge. He was looking for God's justice to be carried out. He had tried to find justice through the church. He had revealed that situation to some of the elders, and they said, just cover it up. Just forget about it. And so this was his way of saying, no, I can't cover it up. I'm going to deal with it one way or the other there. Uh, And so... Well, it, it, there's a difference between seeking revenge and seeking for justice. There, it, it's not right that people cheat and steal and violate others and get away with it, or at least they think they get away with it. I, I think of uh, Psalm 73 in that connection, in verse 17. The psalmist looked at the wicked around him and he said, "You know, they're they're prospering, they're flourishing, they're fat," uh, and I realize we think that's terrible today but it wasn't terrible in those days if, if you were fat it was a sign that God had been blessing you don't, don't you wish you lived back then <laughs> you, you wouldn't have to put up with a lot of the what, what we have to put up with today but uh, he said I looked at the wicked and he said I just about gave up on God and then he said until I came into the temple and I considered their end they made Get away with it in this life. But someday they have to answer to God. He said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, it's appointed unto man once to die. After this comes the judgment. They may get away with it for a time in this world. But ultimately they have to stand before the almighty God. And and uh, wouldn't you hesitate to want to be in their their shoes in that moment there? Uh, why does God reserve the right to vengeance? Why doesn't he give us that opportunity to, to seek revenge? I think one of the major reasons why he does is because only God can see the heart. Only God can see the motive of the under, other individual. Do you ever notice how quick we are if we're not careful to judge somebody else? pigeonhole them and to, to think that they're, they're doing this for the wrong reason and so forth. Only God can see that. We assume we, we can, but we, we can't. I'm reminded of the story that took place in, in Yellowstone several years ago. Back years ago, they used to have garbage dumps in, in the national parks. They don't have them there anymore uh, because they attract the bears. And that was one of the reasons they had the garbage dump there, because all the tourists want to see bears. Where's the best place to see a bear? garbage dump (laughs) and and so on one occasion this man was watching a grizzly bear feeding in the garbage dump and and there were several cars around and there was a park ranger there to make sure that uh, you stayed in your car and that you didn't open your window and and on and on the, the rules and regulations but everybody was trying to take pictures of this and so forth and the the bear was obviously upset and the reason he was upset because feeding on the same garbage was a skunk And and, uh, somebody asked the ranger, I mean, that's kind of foolish. Here's this great big grizzly bear, a little skunk. Why doesn't the grizzly bear just do away with him? And uh, the ranger said, I suppose the grizzly bear knows the high cost of getting even. (laughs) 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 Think about that for a minute. The next time you want to get even with somebody, what is it going to cost? What What is the price involved? You may get away with it, but uh, will you come away smelling like a skunk in the process? This commandment comes out of Leviticus chapter 19 in, in verse 17 and 18. He says, you shall not hate your fellow countryman in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but you shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The fact of the matter is God says we are called to forgive. Let God deal with the other person. Let God bring the, the vengeance that is necessary. Let God judge their heart. Let God do what is necessary in their life. Turn them over to the one that can do a much better job than you can. You ever notice when you try to get even how you mess it up? But God doesn't. God sees the heart. God knows what he's doing there, and we can leave it with him. I think of the example, a tremendous example comes out of Genesis, the book of Genesis, the story of Joseph. If any man had a right to want to get even, it was Joseph. He was sold by his brothers into slavery. He had been wrongly accused, was put in prison, and ultimately God intervened. He was made second in command in the nation of Israel. And then his brothers came and stood before him looking for food. And he ever had a perf- perfect opportunity to get even, there it was. And yet he chose to forgive his brothers. And and uh, years later, after Jacob died, his, it still troubled the, his brothers. It wasn't troubling Jacob, but it was still troubling his or, or I mean, uh, Joseph, it was still troubling that his brothers, though. And they came to him, you know, you, they said, you know, Dad said before he died that you should forgive us. Now, they didn't realize it, but he had already forgiven them. If he wanted to get even, he he had all kinds of opportunity before this that he could have gotten even there. And I like what he says in that moment. He said, you meant it for evil. God used it for good. And sometimes we look at the evil And we forget that maybe God has a purpose that we do not understand fully today. And maybe we won't understand fully. I'm sure Joseph didn't fully understand how all that was working out for good in his life. But he was convinced that God had allowed it for a reason. And he was going to cooperate with God in the process. And so Paul would say, don't seek revenge Turn it over to God. Let God do what is necessary in that situation. And then the last command he gives us here is we are to repay evil with good. Now that's the tough part. If we could just say, okay, I'm going to turn them over to God, I'm going to leave them there, that would be okay, maybe. But he says, Go one step farther. Do don't repay evil with uh, or yeah, don't repay evil with evil. Rather, repay evil with good. That's tough. He said, if your enemy is hungry, what do we like to do? Let him suffer. <laughs> well, we, we don't want to feed him. But he said, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Uh, he said, in so doing, you do what? You heap coals of fire upon his head. Now, that's a tough one. And, and I wish I could tell you what that really means. Uh, I wish I could tell you that it means you're going to burn their head and and they're going to get burned in the process, but uh, there's two suggestions for what this means. I'll let you choose which one you like here. One goes back to the days when, you know, if you want to start a fire, what do you look for? Besides some paper and wood and kindling, you you look for a match, and and you light that fire in a hurry. They didn't have matches, so what did they look for? Coals. Uh, They they would get, and, and if they're, fire had gone completely out there were no coals left often you would take a, a sensor and go to your neighbor and ask for a few coals and you would bring that back and you would nurse that into a flame and, and you would have your fire soon there and so the idea that possibly that this phrase has is if you're a good neighbor you're not going to just give them a few coals you're going to heap that sensor full so that they're sure to be able to start a fire you don't need all of those coals so so give them away. And in a very real sense, I think that pictures what God has done for us. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, he says, it is often the kindness of God that leads to repentance. We, we we like to think, well, if yeah, we pray, Lord, stop them in their tracks, put them in the hospital, do something to get their attention. But God says, you know, sometimes it's I'm going to get their attention by being kind to them. Remember in Matthew chapter five he said, God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. One little boy, when he heard that, said, that doesn't sound very fair. Uh, why, why would he send it on, on the unjust? But but he does. He demonstrates his kindness so that some may be brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The second idea behind this, and some translate it literally, it means to cause them to blush with shame. And that is really the goal in mind here. Both of them have the same goal It is to bring them to the point of repentance. To bring them to the place where they recognize what they have done is wrong. They need God's salvation there. And so what he's really asking is, Lord, do whatever is necessary in their life to bring them to the point of salvation. We always need to keep that in the back of our mind. Do you have an enemy today? Are you praying? Not, Lord, I want vengeance. Not, Lord, destroy them. Are you praying, Lord, somehow send the gospel message to them so that they have a chance to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and, and Savior there. There's a story entitled Redemptive Revenge. It's in that book, Rumors of Another World. I don't know if any of you have read that or not. It's by Philip Yancey. Very interesting book to to, to read. i got a copy in my study if you want it, to read it, as long as I get it back. <laughs> Otherwise, I might need to seek revenge on <laughs> uh But uh, he's quoting from this passage here, and he tells the story of Nelson Mandela, who eventually, after years in prison, became president of South Africa. One of the first things that nelson did was he appointed a commission to bring to trial those who had been guilty of the atrocities over the past several years and any white officer who voluntarily faced his accusers and confessed his guilt would not be punished that's quite a remarkable stand that that this man took but any accuser or any one who was guilty of atrocities could come and confess and be forgiven One day, an aged woman was brought face to face with the officer who had brutally murdered her only son and her husband. Asked what she wanted from him, she said, although I have no family, I still have a lot of love to give. She requested that he visit her regularly so she could mother him. Then she said, I would like to embrace him so he can know my forgiveness is real. She was given that opportunity. The officer became so overwhelmed with shame and remorse that he fainted. But ultimately, the pain was dealt with. Forgiveness was realized, and, and he eventually became a follower of Jesus Christ. It's a tough passage. We may not be called to go to the same extreme as that woman did, but we need to wrestle, I think, with what he is saying here. Has somebody wronged you? Is there somebody out there that's made life miserable for you? How are you responding? Are you desiring to get even? They hit me, I got a right to hit them back. Or are you saying, Lord, what would Jesus do in this situation? Are we seeking to win them to Jesus Christ? He said, don't be overcome with evil. Don't come down to their level, but overcome evil with good. Last year, Sandy Patty had her farewell tour of concerts, and she, she was here in Spokane. We got to, to go in and listen to her, her, her final program there. And I remember in the middle of her program, she said these words, Forgiving someone who has hurt you does not make that person right. It just releases you from bondage. What a remarkable statement. We choose to forgive, not to make the other person right. We forgive so that we don't carry that hurt and that bitterness the rest of our life. And we turn that individual then over to the Lord to deal with as he sees fit. And so today, again, I would ask you, do you have an enemy? Are you allowing that enemy to control your life, to bring bitterness into your heart, to to keep you from experiencing all the joy that god had for you or are you able to release them to the lord and say lord i can't deal with it but you can i turn this individual over to you vengeance is yours lord you will repay it's not my right to do that but i i surrender them to you to do whatever is necessary to bring them to a right relationship with yourself now they may come to christ they may not that's their choice But at least you can be released from the burden of bitterness and and the bondage that it brings into your life. And then a second thought I have to wrestle with as we look at this passage. Are you being an enemy? Are there others that you're seeking to hurt? Uh, Others that uh, you're trying to undermine them in some way? You need to deal with that as well. Because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. He will judge our actions he calls us not to be conformed to the ways of the world but to be transformed to be different to show the character of christ rather than the character of the world not an easy passage to wrestle with raises a lot of questions i'm sure in our mind but again we need to ask ourselves are we following what it is that jesus christ would have us to do in a tough situation let's pray father we're thankful for Jesus Christ. We're thankful for his forgiveness of our sin. We're thankful that your word declares, while, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. It's hard for us to fathom that love. And yet it's real. You did do that for us. And so we give you our thanks and praise for that. Father, as we see those that may be trying to hurt us, even trying to destroy us, give us the courage, Father, to forgive, to do the right thing, whatever that may be, and to turn those individuals over to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to ask Dan to come forward at this time.